Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of your word. Uh, Please humble us now to sit under your word, that you would teach us, that you would mould us and shape us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated and please keep that passage open that Narell read for us. We're finishing off our series through Luke's Gospel today and we'll be looking at this parable that Narell read for us. Well, what are you investing in? Uh, What do you find to be an attractive investment? How are your investments going? Uh, At any one time, there is no shortage of people or companies wanting you to invest in them. Uh, It can be hard to work out how best to invest, uh, what to invest in. Uh, And that's just talking about our money. What's worth investing your life in? That's the question at the heart of our passage today. Over the past few weeks, we've been on a journey with Jesus as he's headed towards Jerusalem. From chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel through to chapter 19, there's lots of Jesus talking. He's been teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God what it's like, who can enter it, and how. At the start of chapter 19, Jesus has just had dinner with Zacchaeus and he's explained that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus then says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, We've seen that, haven't we, in some of the parables that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Uh, The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. Now verse 11 of chapter 19 helps us a great deal in understanding our parable today. Notice from verse 11, while they were listening to this, He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Jesus has come near to Jerusalem. He's in Jericho, not far from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the destination of Jesus' journey. The timing of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is significant too. It's Passover, the annual meal remembering God's rescue of his people from Egypt. (coughs) Jewish nationalism is running high. Many of Jesus' followers are convinced he is God's Messiah come to bring in God's kingdom. Well, They're right about that. But they're mistaken about how he'll go about it. They think that he's going to overthrow the Romans and establish his rule right there and then. Maybe they're on the cusp of this. This is it, maybe they're thinking. We're on the cusp of greatness. Well, Jesus brings a different perspective on the nature and timing of the kingdom by telling this parable He wants his disciples to be certain that he is king, but he wants them to be certain about the timing of his kingdom too. 
So let's look at the first part of the parable. From verse 12, uh, a man goes to another country to have himself made king. He calls ten of his servants and gives them some money and says, put this money to work until I come back. His subjects hate him and don't want him to be king, but he's made king anyway. And when he returns, he calls the servants to see what they've gained with the money. So in our parable, we've got a man appointed king, subjects who don't want him to be king, and servants who are asked to put money to work. If Jesus' disciples are expecting victory the moment they arrive in Jerusalem, this parable will help them change their understanding. Jesus says that there's going to be a delay. He says there's going to be a delay. But he wants his followers to know that he is king despite delay and despite opposition. This parable is taken from real life. Jewish rulers, they would travel by boat to have themselves appointed king by the emperor in Rome and then they'd return. One such fellow was a guy called Archelaus. He was the son of Herod the Great. He made the journey to Rome in 4 BC. But he was a fairly ruthless ruler. Just before going down to Rome, he had killed 3,000 people and cancelled Passover. Uh, It didn't go down too well. A group of Jews came to oppose him. The emperor refused to give him the title king. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going away to be crowned king, but he will return to take up his kingdom. In this parable, there are three responses. Did you see them? Three responses. First, there are the rebels. See them there in verse 14 of the parable. They don't want this fellow to be king over them. They don't want him interfering in their affairs. Their rejection isn't out of ignorance or doubt. It's a deliberate choice. Yet their fist-waving is in vain. Verse 15, we're told simply, he was made king, however, and returned home. It's as if Jesus is saying, nothing can stop my final victory. In verse 27 of our parable, we discover the final outcome for these rebels. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. These are chilling words. It shows the seriousness of rebelling against God's king. We would probably have preferred Jesus to have left them out of the story. But the fact is, those who don't want Jesus to be king can't be in his kingdom. And Jesus is aware of opposition. Indeed, he's about to face opposition in Jerusalem. He'll be arrested, beaten and put on a cross. But Jesus wants his disciples to know 
that it is through his rejection that he will be crowned king. Jesus will be crowned and no amount of opposition will stop that. That's the first response in our parable. A second response comes from the servants in the parable. You'll notice, you'll remember in verse 13, the king asks the servants to put this money to work until I come back. So let's see how they go from verse 16. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. These servants have responded well to the king's call to put this money to work, and they're commended for, that, for it, aren't they? This is Jesus' way of telling his disciples that though he is going away, there is work for them to do. They are to live for the kingdom, serving God with the gifts or resources they've been given. Just like last week with the parable of the shrewd manager, the encouragement is to use whatever God has given us for his kingdom. We're to pray that God will give us wisdom to know how best to invest in his kingdom. Each of us needs to think about how we can be serving God in the different circumstances we're in. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that there's nothing we can do or or nothing we can give. But we forget that God isn't asking us to do things that are impressive in the world's eyes. It's about the attitude of your heart. Having a heart that wants to serve God. Now, has God given me money? What can I give to church or mission organisations so that people have opportunity to hear about Jesus? Now, I can pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, that his church will grow and many more people come to a saving knowledge about Jesus. It's about living publicly as Christians, not hiding our faith, but being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. Well, what about the third response? We find the third response in verse 20, and we might call this response the loser. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. 
He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. What does this servant do with his minor? He wraps it in a piece of cloth. He's like the Monopoly player who refuses to spend any money. And we know that that never works. This servant did not understand his master. He took him to be a hard man when in fact the master was a generous man. The servant regarded his master as exploiting his workers when it's obvious that he was nothing like that. This servant, he's, he's like a worker who complains it's not fair because he's not getting as much as his boss. It's like the taxi driver Caroline discovered in Newcastle while we were on holidays. For the entire trip, he complained that all the money he made would be going to his boss, who was probably sleeping right then. You see, this master entrusted ten servants with considerable wealth. But this servant doesn't see any of that. He behaves like a sport brat, wrapping the money in a cloth and burying it. He figured he would play it safe. The irony is that he was living dangerously. In trying to avoid his master's anger, which he feared, he was in fact incurring a greater wrath. The miner is taken away from him. Ironically, the treasure that he did have became no treasure at all because he hid it away. It became useless. We've been entrusted with an incredible gift. We've been brought into relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus. One day, Jesus will return to wrap everything up and to fully bring about his kingdom. Those who trust in him will be a part of that kingdom and have life forever. Those who don't, won't. Jesus is telling his disciples to serve God using whatever God has given them for his kingdom. Jesus is saying that any investment in the kingdom of God, great or small, is worth it. If we hang on to our life, greedily hoarding what God has given us, like the third servant, we will lose it. If we're going to receive life, we must be willing to let it go. You see, the irony of the faithless servant is that in trying to avoid taking risks, he was taking the biggest gamble of all. To hedge your bets when it comes to Jesus is a massive risk to take. It's always worth investing in the kingdom of God and throwing a lot in with Jesus. There is no other investment for eternity worth making. And so this parable asks us, 
How will we use what God has given us, our bodies, our capacities, our time and money for God's glory? This parable tells us that Jesus is king despite delay and despite opposition. Jesus will return, that is a certainty. How are we living in the light of his return? 2,000 years might seem like a serious delay to us, but we're reminded in our, in our psalm this morning, and Peter in the New Testament reminds us that a 1,000 years is like a day to God. Jesus is telling us that one day he will return. How are we to respond in the meantime? I think Jesus is saying, in the light of my return, I want you to use the resources and opportunities I'm giving you to invest in my kingdom. You see, the work ethic of put this money to work isn't grounded in mere moral duty, but in future hope. Because Jesus will return, because the kingdom will come, that changes how we live life now. How we live life now counts for eternity. And so may we live it for the glory and the praise of King Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is king despite opposition and despite delay. We thank you that he will return. And when he returns, he will wrap all things up and bring about your kingdom in its entirety. But Father, we know that there is work to do until then. Father, may we live our lives for your glory, knowing that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.